I want to extend my welcome to you this morning as well, and uh, it's good to be able to be here and worship together with you. Um, if you have your copies of Scripture, if you will, turn to Second Peter, excuse me, First Peter chapter 5, First Peter chapter 5. I want to give attention to verses 1 through 5 this morning as we continue uh, to look at uh, this epistle. You've probably already heard and I know you've gathered that uh, our time in 1 Peter has been uh, to help prepare us for persecution and suffering, hardship, struggles. Um, I hope you have been uh, helped in the course of this and uh, we'll find out uh, We'll find out today and here again that that is part of our responsibility and a part of my responsibility and Adam's responsibility and Booney's responsibility is to help uh, prepare uh, you, church family, uh, and other believers to be prepared uh, for persecution and suffering. Let's look at the text together. Peter writes, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, uh, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Uh, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Will you pray with me? Father, would you help us as we look at this text today to uh, see in it what we as a church need to see regarding our pastors and the elders. Uh, help those of us who are pastors and elders, God, take heed to the things that we hear today. And then help us, Father, to know what we need to expect and look for in regards to our shepherds uh, and their care. And then help us, Father, to hear and understand that we as sheep wander and we go astray. And help us to see and understand that you are uh, the chief shepherd of our hearts the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. Thank you today, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, if you've read this text before, uh, and maybe even as we were reading it just a moment ago, it may seem a bit out of place. And I say that because uh, we stated last week several times that the last verse of chapter 4, and if you would just back up in your copies of Scripture, verse 19 we read, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We said along the way, and we mentioned even again last week, uh, that this seems to be a summary statement for the entire epistle. So in our minds, we could have, Peter could have written the letter, could have stopped there, uh, pointed us to this summary statement to sum all things up, and we could have moved on, but that's not what he did. Uh, 
he had more to say. And it wasn't one of those things like we're having a conversation about something, and we all do this. We'll have this conversation about one thing in particular, and then when we get to the end of that, we'll say now on another note, or uh, completely unrelated to that, and then start something else, but that's not what he's doing. What he has to say is not a few random thoughts that are somehow or another disassociated uh, from what he has been saying and the need for the body to be equipped and prepared for suffering. To be equipped and prepared to live in this world, living between the two worlds that we have been talking about, uh, and being prepared uh, with an expectation of facing persecution. What he does do, though, he turns back to what we have seen, judgment and suffering and glory. Last week, we brought into kind of into the mix of things. We mentioned Ezekiel chapter 9. We'll turn there in just a minute because I want us to see where Peter is drawing from language-wise as we looked at last week. But he borrowed the language from Ezekiel when he wrote... For it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Now we know that Peter was saying that God's judgment has two functions. His judgment purifies, sanctifies his own children. In other words, a believer's faith is forged and shaped and purified in the fire of persecution. We hear, uh, as Peter wrote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance, remember this is in chapter 1 and verse 3, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Mooney pointed us back there just a little bit ago. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And we have continued to go back to that, being grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then Peter went on to say, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So we hear it again, that this persecution, these trials, the suffering, the hardship, some that are connected directly with the gospel, but all of it in the life of a believer as we are looking to live to bring honor and glory to God. In other words, we're looking to the end, to that glory. The glory that we receive now and have in fellowship and relationship with God and the glory that will be revealed in the end where we are brought into the presence of God. We're living lives in that. And as we do, we are face persecution, hardship, suffering, and it forges us and challenges us in our faith. Paul wrote about it in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. He said, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, he's going back to our salvation by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access by faith into a grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. 
Not only that, not only do we rejoice in that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. That's what he says. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. But judgment has another function. We've looked at that. Over again, throughout the course of Peter's letter, he has been pointing to the end. We would either be glorified or we would fall under the judgment of God. Judgment on unbelievers or those who do not embrace Christ and love Him will serve as punishment. And that punishment and suffering will not end. It will not end. Peter reminded those to whom he was writing, And we have been reminded that judgment is coming. In fact, we've been stating this reality and we've said that it impacts us at least in three ways. And it should impact all of us in three ways. If you're here today as a believer, it should point you to the wonderful grace of God that you will not stand in that judgment. You will not fall under that judgment. But that he has secured for you life and you will not face God's wrath. There's another part of that, and it leads back to why we prayed just a moment ago for our community. Because if we are recipients of that grace and understanding our sin and realizing that there is a judgment, the the fierce and righteous wrath of God that will be upon those who do not trust Him, then we'll long to want to share the gospel with them. We will long for them to come to Christ. That should be working in our hearts as believers. And then, if we're here and we haven't trusted Christ yet, be reminded that Christ died for sinners. Christ died for sinners. And if you place your faith and trust in Him, if you do that, then you will be spared not just the wrath of God, but will be given eternal life in the presence of God. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, in the end, that face talking about the face of God. In the end, that face, which is the delight or the terror of the universe, must be turned upon each of us with one expression or the other, either conferring glory inexpressible or inflicting shame that can never be ended or disguised. So God is going to look at us in in one way or the other, And it will either be to confer that glory, His presence and that glory upon us, which would be never ending, or uh, He will in turn place judgment upon the individual for eternity, one or the other. And it's that consideration of judgment that Peter points back to when he pointed back and says the judgment begins at the household of God. So take your copies of Scripture and turn to Ezekiel. You'll find that in the Old Testament before Daniel. Ezekiel chapter 9. And I just want us to reference this. I want you to, I want you to hear it, what was driving Peter when he, pointed, uh, when he pointed this church. And as he points us and as the Holy Spirit points us, uh, know what he had on his mind. Ezekiel chapter 9. 
And here's word of the prophets. Then he cried in my ears with a loud voice saying, Bring near the executioners of the city, each with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north, each with his weapon for slaughter in his hand, and with them as a man clothed in linen with a writing case at his waist. And they went in and stood beside the bronze altar. Now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub on which it rested to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed in linen who had the writing case at his waist. And the Lord said to him, pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. In other words, so we have this understanding. He's sending this man to go through Jerusalem through the city, and to mark those who have a broken heart over their sin. Let's go on and read it. And the others, and to the others, he said in my hearing, pass through the city after him and strike. Your eye shall not spare, and you shall show no pity. Kill old men outright, young men and maidens, little children and women, but touch no one on whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. So that they began with the elders who were before the house, and then he said to them, Defile the house and fill the courts with the sling. Go out. So they went out and struck in the city. And while they were striking, I was left alone. I fell upon my face and cried, O Lord God, Will you destroy all the remnant of Israel and the outpouring of your wrath on Jerusalem? And then he said to me, The guilt of the house of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great. The land's full of blood and the city full of injustice. For they say the Lord has forsaken the land and the Lord does not see. As for me, my eye will not spare nor will I have pity. I will bring their deeds upon their heads. And behold, the man clothed in linen with the white riding case at his waist, brought back words saying, I've done as you have commanded. I wanted us to hear the entire chapter because I wanted us to get a sense of what Peter had in his mind whenever he said that the judgment would begin in the household of God. And that sets the stage for coming to verse 1 that we read here in chapter 5 of 1 Peter. Based upon that, therefore, he said, so I exhort the elders among you. Well, why did he begin there? Well, he begins with the elders. Because with the elders is the responsibility to warn, to speak truth, to teach. And we're going to hear these things. I want us to look at five things that I believe that our text today calls for us to consider. First, we should consider the reality of God's gift in elders. We should consider the reality of God's gift in elders. Yes, your pastors, if you're a member of another church, your pastors, uh, they are a gift to you. Oak Valley, Booney and Adam and I and other pastors that will come are a gift to you. Now, I don't feel like you got such a good gift in me, but nevertheless, we're a gift if we do what God has called us to do. And if we are faithful in that charge, we are a gift. And we find that not only are we a gift, but the pastor is necessary in the life of the church. 
pastor's necessary in the life of the church. John MacArthur recalls W. Philip Keller's statement. And Keller said this, uh, it's no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. It's no accident that God has called, has, has, has calls us sheep. Isaiah reminds us concerning our sinfulness, all we like sheep have gone astray. What he gives us in this picture is our tendency to wander away. To wander away from that which is best and into places of grave danger. I'm reminded that the Lord pointed us to this parable of the lost sheep and that's what he had in mind. In Luke's gospel, he wrote and said, and so he told them this parable, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. Why? Because sheep wander. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, the point is that there's, Jesus was not saying that there are those who don't need repentance. What he is saying, though, he's pointing back to the fact that he cares about his sheep. And he cares about us, and we have a tendency to wander, and we go away from him. And Jesus was saying, as we read earlier from John's gospel, that he is the good shepherd. His sheep hear his voice. They know him. They follow him. He goes after them. He goes after us. And what Peter is pointing to in the course of this, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to the church about the elders and the pastors is that they should care for their sheep. And we'll look more at that in just a minute. He even refers to the church as his flock. As his flock. Now, as dumb as sheep are, and and we are all sheep, as dumb as sheep are, when God calls us his flock, when he calls the church and refers to us as his flock, it's a term of endearment. He is pointing to the fact that the church is loved by him. And he's also pointing to the fact that the church needs to be led, needs to be directed, needs to be guided. And he does that. He does that. And he primarily does that in the life of the church by his design through sheep, fallen men, who lead and guide and seek him and work under the direction of their under shepherd, of the great shepherd as under shepherds to give this leadership. I want you to notice several things in verse 1. Peter says, so I exhort the elders uh, among you. That word elders, one of the words that's used in the New Testament that's interchangeable with pastor. But it's interesting in this text that all three of those words are used. This word is presbyteros and uh, it points to just general care, general leadership. And he is saying that these elders, and I don't think he has in mind here age, doesn't seem to be in the course of this, so much the age of the person uh, as it does the calling and being set apart for this work because we find that everywhere Paul went, every church that was planted, he left behind elders in place. God had granted those gifts in the life of those church to give leadership and direction. But notice also that Peter identifies as an elder. 
He identifies as an elder. He understands what the responsibility is. And he's coming along and he is identifying with these elders of this church as they are preparing for persecution. He is identifying with them, not separating himself apart from them, not being over them. But even here, he is demonstrating his own humility as he identifies with them. Instrumental in leading the body of Christ through difficult days. And he knows that. In fact, he knows that the hope of the church to make it through persecution, to make it through those difficult days will rest primarily with those who are leading them. Notice what else Peter says. He said, not only is he a fellow uh, elder, but he is a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And it's interesting that he goes back and he makes mention again of Christ's suffering. Peter knew of Christ's suffering. He saw him suffer and agonize in Gethsemane. He knew the suffering that was inflicted upon Christ on the cross, but he also knew the suffering that he had brought to Christ when he denied him and openly rejected him three times. But then notice what else he does here. As well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Even in the midst of this persecution, he continues to point these elders to give consideration to the glory of God that has been revealed and that will be revealed. I was thinking about Peter in light of this. Yes, he is the one that denied Christ three times. But he is also the one that was restored by Christ, forgiven by Christ, charged by Christ, encouraged by Christ, empowered by Christ. He knew of that glory in that way, and that gave him full hope and assurance for the glory that was to come. Full hope and assurance that he would see his Savior again. Full hope and assurance that he would be with him as Christ had promised that he would be with them. And I want you to know today that even as I stand here and Adam and Booney, and I'm referring to them because they are our pastors, that our drive in the course of this primarily is because that we know that we are responsible for you and you hear us say this over again, to make it to the end. I need to make it to the end. You need to make it to the end. And how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, we look in view of the end and the glory that is going to be revealed to us in Christ. And Peter does that here with these elders to encourage them to come alongside of them and encourage them uh, as they serve because he knows that it is necessary for the body of Christ. Not only does he point us to consider the reality of the gift of elders, but number two, he points us to consider the role of the elder, the elder, the pastor. Look, if you will, there in verse 2. He says, shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God. That word shepherd uh, is the same word that is translated pastor. Pastor the flock of God. Tend the flock of God. Shepherd them. It's another word that is interchangeable for pastor. Poemen. And then he says this, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. I just want to encourage you here today uh, that if you're here, and we just made mention just a few minutes ago uh, about a membership matters class. Why? Because church membership does matter. 
Church membership does matter. We see here that these elders are being charged to shepherd the flock that is in their midst. In other words, shepherd the people that you have been charged to shepherd. It's hard to shepherd people that are not a part of that particular flock. Now for you, if you're a believer here today and you're not a member of a church yet, I want to encourage you, consider church membership. And if it's not here, certainly then please be on your way to discover where that church is because you need to be shepherded. You're a sheep. You're prone to wander. And we will do our best to walk alongside of you here, but it's in the context of our relationship with each other and the lives that we live together that we seek to help each other to the end. I'm invested in you and you're invested in me. So I just want to encourage you in that as you give consideration to church membership. But these elders are told to shepherd the flock that is among them, that is there in their midst. What does that mean? What does that word shepherd mean? Well, the primary responsibility in the shepherding was to feed them, teach them. Uh, to take your Bibles and turn over to John chapter 21 just a minute. Uh, and it's interesting that Peter who we said had denied Christ and who was restored by Christ was also given this same kind of language. In John chapter 21, verse 15, and when they had finished breakfast, and this was after the resurrection, before the ascension, remember, Jesus was, met him on the beach. In fact, Peter uh, and, and the disciples that were present there were fishing and uh, daylight and he brings them up and they have breakfast together and Jesus said to Simon Peter Simon son of John do you love me more than these and he said to him yes Lord you know that I love you he said meaning Christ said feed my lambs in other words tend them feed them he said to him a second time Simon son of John do you love me and he said to him yes Lord you know that I love you and he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. What was he being told? He said, take care of them. Feed them. Our responsibility, you should know. It's primarily that of feeding you, tending you, feeding you, teaching you. And notice that Peter says this in the context of them making sure that they are prepared to suffer, making sure that they have someone to feed them and teach them and encourage them in God's word to be able to face persecution. We sat down two years ago and marked out that we were going to work through 1 Peter. The reason for that is because in the course of our lives, as we are growing together, we needed to make sure that you know how to suffer, that I know how to suffer and suffer well. That in the days when persecution comes, that we know how to navigate through that to bring honor and glory to God, and that we are not afraid and that we do not waver, and that we do not fall apart, and that we don't abandon the faith. And that's what Peter is trying to help them understand. These elders, that's their responsibility. Notice the second thing that he says. 
there in verse 2. Exercising oversight. That's the third word in the New Testament that is used to interchangeable for pastor. Episcopos is where we get the, the word episcopal from. It's just a giving oversight. What does that mean? That is the shepherd is to watch over with care. That means that the shepherd should give attention to knowing the people. Shepherding is not one of these, uh, one of these responsibilities that somehow or another, and we'll find out in just a moment, that, that we're lording over. But we need to know you. We want to know you. We want to know your hurt. We want to know your pain. We want to know your struggles. We want to know your hardship. And we want you to know ours. We want you to know ours. Biblical shepherding, I want you to know, is no easy task. Even as I was working through this over the last couple of weeks, and this week particularly, I've seen my weaknesses. And I am reminded again of why I find myself and we find ourselves before God and on our faces before God asking for wisdom and direction Asking that God would work through us in grace to teach us, to show us how to shepherd. It is a work of relating to and loving people. Loving people when they are high and loving people when they're low and loving people when we are high and loving people when we are low. Because just as you are up and down, we also are up and down. And I'm not asking that and telling you that for any kind of sympathy. I am just sharing with you that we are still all sheep together. We are not superhuman. So the pastor is a sheep in need of shepherding. Notice that Peter also points us to give consideration to a third thing, and that is the pastor's readiness. The pastor's readiness. Notice what he says there in verse 2. He said, exercising oversight. And then he gives three negative statements and three positive statements. And he is comparing the three. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. In other words, teach them, feed them. Exercising oversight, giving care and attention to their needs. How? Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Being examples to the flock. He speaks of the dangers of a shepherd's heart. I read one author this week that characterized these three negative attitudes as a love of praise, a love of profit, and a love of power. I like that. I think that very well characterizes what Peter is trying to help them to understand. In other words, to the shepherds were to guard their hearts in regards to these things. It was helpful for me. Peter was encouraging the elders not to be driven by a love of praise. But that should be true of all of us in service. Okay? This isn't restricted to just the pastor. No, it is for all of us that we should not be driven by love for praise. Here's how that will often work out. When we serve out of a sense of obligation, it's often because we desire to be seen and long for the praise of others. We're not serving out of genuine love for God. It's a heaviness. It's a weightiness. We're doing it out of obligation, so to speak. Not being driven out of love for God and love for His people and love for His work. 
but rather a love for ourselves and our own reputation. How does that play out? What does that look like? Well, when we're serving, when we're serving and doing out of obligation, when, when that's what we're doing, then we're doing that to protect our own reputation. And in other words, we want to be seen in the good light of people. We want to be praised by what we've done. And then what happens is, is we fall into this trap that we're afraid if we don't do it, then they're going to think less of us and we're going to, we're, we're going to drop a notch, if you will, on whatever ladder that they have us on. Whatever ladder they have you on, you'll drop a notch. Point Peter is making is this. If any of us serve with this attitude, then when suffering and persecution and hardship come, and they are going to come, there will not be a willingness to serve. Maybe ask you, how many people have you ever known that when hardship came in the midst of their life and they didn't get the praise and it became hard and difficult, you knew that they were serving out of obligation because they quit? I've known some that way. Is, is that, are, are we all vulnerable of that, to that? Certainly we are. And that's the reason that Peter is writing to the elders. He knows the hardship and suffering and persecution is coming. And he's saying, guard your hearts, pastors. And, and I would say today, we must guard our hearts, pastors. But I would say to all of us as church members who are serving, we need to guard our hearts regarding this very thing. Look at what else he says. He said, don't do it under compulsion, but do it willingly. Do it willingly. And notice the next phrase that he says, as God would have you, or maybe more literally, according to God. In other words, willingly shepherd, willingly serve. Shepherd them willingly according to God, not according to what you want them to think about you, not according to the prevailing attitudes of our peers. I have pastor friends of mine, I confess this, I've had pastor friends of mine that sometimes I wondered if they were, uh, uh, their, if, if, if their service was driven out of a deep and abiding love for God and His people, or, or was it to gain fame and notoriety among their peers, their pastoral peers? You say, certainly a pastor would not do that. And I would tell you that certainly a pastor would have to guard his heart not to do that and not to fall there. And Peter is telling the pastors here, please guard your hearts regarding these things. Guard your hearts regarding these things. Do it for God's glory, according to God's word. He does want us to be cheerful and wholehearted servants who care for the flock. His flock. And, and that is true if the flock is small, and it's true if the flock is large. We're not to be driven by a love for praise, but we're also not to be driven by a love for profit. Notice what he says. He says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. We are to shepherd, not for shameful gain. We're to serve, not for shameful gain. Now, most of us would not fall in that category. And at this, at this point in the life of our church, the only one that that would apply to directly, at least right now, would be me. Because 
I am the one that you pay. And, and I want you to know this, I don't take that lightly. I don't take that lightly. Because of this. Because of this very thing. What Peter is saying is that generosity should be at the heart of the pastor, not greed. Generosity, not greed. In other words, as we shepherd, as I shepherd, as we shepherd, we are to shepherd pouring out our lives for the sake of the body of Christ. In days ahead, some of you who are younger, some of you who are older, we don't know what God will bring to us in the life of, in, in the life of Oak Valley, but I would encourage you, in the days ahead, you will be called on to call other elders and other pastors in due season. These are the things that you need to be looking for. And these are the things that you need to be careful of even when you are looking and observing and surveying those kinds of men. Generosity, not greed. Pouring out our lives for the sake of the body. Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 2. And I'm reminded that even last week before uh, we uh, went uh, to the Lord's table. Adam uh, went back and read a portion of Philippians 2 talking about how Christ had given of himself and how he did not regard uh, him he did, he, did not, he did not regard his place as the son but in humility had, had divested at least part of that had divested that to give his life as a ransom for us. And then Paul takes that very thing and he continues, and this is what he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Those who work under compulsion grumble and dispute. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Isn't that what we've been talking about as we live and show ourselves before the world in the midst of persecution, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And then this is what Paul wrote. He said, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all Likewise, also should you be glad and rejoice with me. And then Peter gave a third warning. Pastors should not be driven by love of power. Not a love of praise, not a love of profit, not a love of power. Notice what he says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. The pastor should not be driven by love or power. We are to shepherd, Peter says, not domineering. In other words, the flock in which we have been charged to lead, we are to lead with love and care and tenderness and gentleness. Love and care, tenderness, gentleness, caring about your soul not about power. Now, Paul writes to Timothy and he reminds Timothy that a longing to shepherd is a good thing. But I will also say this, 
that we need to be guarded and careful, even with all of us as leaders, if there seems to be too great of a zeal to want to lead, and if we see that being too zealous in regards to that, one of the things that we should stop and check and look close, even in our own hearts, is what is the motive behind this? Is this the Lord over, or is this to love and care for? Is this to have power over, or is this because I just simply want to serve and lead because God has shaped my life and my heart in that way? Does that make sense? And, and that's what Peter is trying to inform these elders. In other words, he's saying, in the midst of persecution and hardship, you need to be preparing the body setting an example for the body in the way that you love and that you care for one another. Setting an example of tenderness and gentleness and grace. Setting an example in that way, not so you can have power over and to lord over. An elder, pastor, should be responsible. He should be careful in carrying out that responsibility and understanding that he is fallen and sinful as well. And needs to approach things with great, great care. It's been said that the office of pastor is not an office of control for, for the power hungry, but an office of ministry and care for the sheep. Notice the fourth thing that Peter points us to, and that is the reward of the pastor. The reward of the pastor. Look in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, talking about Christ, looking ahead to the day of glory, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's the reward. The reward is not what we get here. Although I will tell you, uh, I will just tell you, I, 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 it's a tremendous blessing to serve you and to serve people. Tremendous blessing to see spiritual growth take place. Tremendous blessing when, I, when we have an opportunity to observe you in your life and the way that you walk through things. A tremendous opportunity and privilege it is to walk alongside of you in the good times and in the hard times. And there is a great reward in that. And, and I think it's necessarily meant to be so, even when it's hard. And it is hard at times. And even when it's difficult, and it is difficult at times, but there's great joy there. But the reason that we find joy in it now is because we are looking ahead to the joy that there will be when we stand in the presence of God and give an account for the way that we have shepherded and cared. And I will tell you, that is heavy. That is heavy. But in the same way that Christ met me with grace and salvation, he will meet me with grace even in my failures in that. And the same is true for us as we walk and live together and serve together is that we can look ahead to the grace of God that will be met when we see him in glory. Christ points us to that. Christ is there waiting for us and we will in fact see him. So that's the reward of the elder. 
So we, we don't serve for profit and we don't serve for people's praise and certainly should not serve to lord power over. But serve to be able to stand in the presence of God. The Lord Jesus Christ, a great shepherd. And therein say, I sought to tend for your sheep well. I sought to feed them well. I sought to care for them well. The fifth thing that I believe that Peter would want us to see, and I think the Holy Spirit is pointing us to, is the reception of the pastor. Reception of the pastor. Look in verse 5. He says, likewise, you who are younger. And I, and I said earlier that I don't think elder, and just I don't, I don't think in the context here uh, that elder is talking about age, but then we get to verse 5, and we're not quite sure it's younger, but it seems that all along the way that Peter is pointing to, as we drew from the language of Ezekiel, the elders, the leaders, those who are leading and guiding and shepherding, okay? And that's what Peter has been talking about all along. But then he does come here, and he says, likewise, you who are younger, but he seems to be talking about everyone else who is not an elder at this point. He says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Be subject to the elders. Now, it's interesting. Back, back up in chapter 2. And what do we hear in verse 13? Well, we hear that we are to be subject to one another. We hear that we are to be subject to human institutions. We hear that we are to be subject in our marriages. We are to be subject to those who have authority over us in our work relationships. And now we come and here when we are talking about the church, he says, be subject to, be subject to the elders. Be subject to the elders. What does that mean? That means to respect their leadership. Embrace their leadership. Encourage them in their leadership. To follow their leadership, provided, of course, in the course of this, that they are leading you according to God's Word. So there is the standard of God's Word. It's not just what we, what we say. We don't just up and say something and you follow. But we should be standing before you, teaching you and helping you and preparing you for persecution, for hardship, for life, and you follow that leadership and direction. I, I do want you to know this, that while we are here uh, at Oak Valley, we are, we are pastor-led, we ultimately come back and we answer to you. We answer to you because we are a congregation of people. We're a congregation of people. And we seek to lead and to lead well. But I can tell you that the majority of our time is spent together, whenever we are meeting, it's not about rendering out and making decisions. Really, it's not. There are decisions that have to be made. And we're often seeking your counsel, seeking your advice in those decisions. But the majority of our time is trying to how do we shepherd well and teach well and love well and care for well and pray for? And know your hearts as much as we can know your hearts so that we can help you navigate through life. So we're told 
to be subject to the elders. And then notice the last part of verse 5. And, and this comes to all of us. Clothe yourselves, all of you, younger, older, elder, deacon, teacher, servant, whoever we are. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Isn't this so appropriate? How he starts out, Peter himself, in a spirit of humility, in speaking to these fellow pastors. And encourages them, and then closes with a direction toward all of us as people. If you're here and a believer, you're part of the body of Christ. And if you're a part of the body of Christ here, to walk in humility toward one another. To not lord over, but to love. I think the application has been pretty clear. We have a responsibility and we'll have a responsibility in the days and the years ahead to select other pastors and elders. Hopefully this will guide us in this. I believe the application is clear for us. I, I know it is for me. I, have, I feel the weight of responsibility to seek to teach you well. And, and that teaching doesn't just come from standing here and opening up God's Word and reading it. It begins as we plan our services together, as we think about the things that we need to deal with in the body of Christ, as we counsel, as we sit with you and at times cry with you and laugh with you and hear about your joys and your hardships and your suffering. Teach well through the course of that. It is incumbent upon me and incumbent upon Booney and Adam and will be for all those who lead to, 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 try to walk and set an example. Does that mean that we will never fail? Does it mean that we'll never fail each other? The answer to that is, is absolutely not. We are going to fail each other. We're going to fail each other sometimes, miserably fail each other. We're going to hurt each other at times. We know that. Not, not because we want to hurt. It's just that we... It, we wander. We're sheep. We wander. But we come back uh, and with our understanding of who we are in the body of Christ, we come back and we walk together. I think that's what Peter has in mind here. But he knows that it begins, the judgment begins with the elders. It begins at the household of God for our sanctification. I want us to close with that and to say here today, again, I, I want to reiterate that um, shepherding you is a joy. Uh, I, I know people who are pastors that really don't want to be pastors. And you know what? They shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. It's not a matter of, of 
it's, it's, it's not a matter of, of being a, a, a leader in the world's affairs. A pastor can be a good administrator. Uh, he may even have a, uh, he may even be a great platform personality. He may be winsome here. Do I want to be winsome here? Do we want to be winsome here? Only in the sense that it helps you see Christ. Where do I want to be winsome? I want to be winsome when I'm with you and we're all alone and we're talking. I want you to know that you have pastors that care for you and love you and long to lead you well. Will you pray with me? Father, you have done that for us in Christ. He abandoned everything, not for profit, but to present himself that we might have life. He walked and served and lived in humility, not for the praise of men, but for your glory. He has been tender and kind and generous and gracious toward us. And while he has and has had for all of time all authority and you have placed everything under him, you have and he has loved us in such a way that he has not been domineering, but he has been gracious and supportive and caring kind. Help us to see that today. And then help us as we seek to live that way before each other. All of us as sheep. And those especially that you have called out to shepherd. Father, I ask you today that you would help the person who is here that has not trusted you to see just how wonderfully kind and gracious you have been in Christ and how you long for them to worship you. Help them to not push away the best any longer, but awaken their hearts even in this moment to your generous and gracious and powerful love that has saved them and will save them if they trust in you. In Christ Jesus' name we pray.